Bob, what's going on tonight, buddy? Oh man, we had a we had a good interview with uh, Marv Clinky on here tonight. So I'm doing good. We've just been talking hunting for the last hour, and yeah. uh, Marv is Marv is a, just a stand up guy. Been bow hunting since 1961. I mean, he is seasoned, right? <laughs> yeah, yep. Um, great guy. He's done a lot for the sport, and you know, we tried to. Tried to get into some of that, but it's hard to cover all of it on one with these guys. Have been doing it forever, so we'll probably call them again. But just what a stud hunting seventy. What did he say? He was seventy-seven, and he just shot a moose this September with his longbow. And he's talking about hiking miles into the wilderness, chasing them around. So pretty awesome, man. Pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah hunting moose and elk and bighorns and mountain goats and high country mule deer at 13,000 feet and uh yeah the guys you know been around forever he's been shooting a bow his whole life he's got a wife that bow hunted with him forever uh he's i mean his resume is so deep yeah. he's been involved in every organization uh he, he's an absolutely one of those guys that has just given back to traditional bow hunt, hunting more than he ever took um what a, what a total stud yeah for sure and uh like i said i don't know if we did him any justice on this one because he's such a such an amazing guy but hope you guys enjoy it and uh we'll definitely get him back on again today joining us on the show we've got marv clinky from boulder colorado how are you doing today doing great doing great nice weather here and that we're getting ready for some cold and some snow, so we need it bad. Uh, that's awesome. We we appreciate you taking some time out to uh, talk a little bow hunting with us today. So why don't you uh, go ahead and tell us, you know, uh, how long you've been in Colorado and how you uh, when you started doing this traditional bow hunting thing. Well, we live on my family's homestead, so I was born right here uh, east of Boulder, about five miles, and. Uh, we had a, a ranch here and farm that we uh, had for a long time, and then it gradually got sold off. But uh, I was born here in 1940, so that gives you an idea of how long I've been here. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And I don't know why I started playing with bows when I was five and six years old, making them out of limbs and that, because nobody else in the family, nobody else we knew, knew anything about archery, but for some reason, I guess it was in my blood. And at that time, we started, uh, we couldn't hunt big game until we were 14. So I started hunting uh, big game in 1954. And, and uh, took my, uh, Colorado had an archery season. When did their archery seasons begin? Well, they actually had archery seasons back in the uh, 1940s. Uh, they had the just limited small archery seasons for, uh, antelope and deer, 
because nobody thought you could kill anything else with a bow. <laughs> but, uh, and then they stopped it for a while, and then we got them back again, uh, just limited ones. And then uh, I helped some guys uh, get some of our seasons, like the bighorn sheep and the goat and that, uh, in the uh, late 1960s, early 1970s. But they did have a, a, a small area down in uh, southern Colorado for elk, and uh, so if you hunted down there, you could hunt with a bow uh, in a bow area. But everywhere else, why we just hunted with the rifle guys, you know. And uh, I killed the second elk in Colorado that was taken with the bow and third elk that was taken with the bow in Colorado. And hit uh, both of them in 1960, I think it was. Wow. Wow. We, we had a... Uh, uh, an area, a bow area here, uh, they, they opened a state to bow hunting for elk. And I took an elk, uh, in, uh, in that fall, but the spring before that, in the, in the spring of 1960, they up here above us, close to Estes park where the national park is at, they were trying to kill some of those elk that come out of the park. So they had a January season. And uh, I got a permit for that and killed a cow elk then and then a bull in, uh, in the fall in the regular archer season. So that was kind of fun. That's awesome. So I'd read that you were the first guy in Colorado to take Colorado's Big 8. Can you tell us a little bit about what the Big 8 entails and uh, you know, tell us a little bit about that? Okay, uh, that was back in uh, in the uh, late seventies, and uh, at that time, see, we didn't have uh, moose or desert sheep, which made it a ten now. But uh, there was, uh, of course, elk and mule deer and white-tailed deer, and uh, uh, mountain lion and bear, bighorn sheep, uh, Rocky Mountain goat. And uh, pronghorn antelope, and that that made up the I think the eight there. Okay, so, so now, that, now that, that, go, go ahead. ahead. Uh, th- that was uh, was the animals that were here forever, you know. And then uh, then they added the desert sheep and the the moose permits, uh, and that way we had ten animals now. I see. So the Shiras so, moose was introduced reintroduced yeah the shiras moose and the desert sheep were reintroduced yeah okay and uh, so at that time you know we really most people never even thought about taking the eight but uh, i just like to hunt everything that i could get my hands on a permit for <laughs> and so it just kind of worked out that way because we had to draw for uh the deer or for uh, bighorn sheep permits and the goat permits and that was the biggest curtailment to get me eight. And I happened to draw a Rocky Mountain goat permit in 1978 and a sheep permit in 1977. And I was lucky to get one of each of those animals. So that filled it out in 1978. So um, let's talk about uh, equipment a little bit. So did did you start off with with a rifle and move to the bow and and tell us a little bit about you know your equipment that you started with and how that's evolved? Well, the of course when I was a, a kid, you know, I was just making them out of tree limbs and and getting straight uh, 
three little limbs for arrows and stuff. But actually, the first one, uh, we had a, a University of Colorado professor move in to an old schoolhouse across the road from uh, our place here. And uh, fortunately, he knew how to make bows, and we made them out of hickory skis. And actually, they were pretty darn good bows. I mean, they, you know, they'd shoot, I don't know, 1,000, 2,000 arrows, and then they'd break, and we'd get another, make another one. But uh, uh, he helped me make those bows. And, and then uh, I went into a sporting goods store in Boulder, I think, when I was about 12 or 13, and I bought a solid fiberglass bow. And uh, that thing, the first time I pulled it, it just exploded. And I can remember my mom pulling fiberglass pieces out of my arm for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I took it back in and uh, made the guy give me a uh, uh, laminated bow then. And he didn't want to do that. And it was kind of funny because uh, I'd paid like $12 for that fiberglass bow. And I told him I wanted to apply that. He said, no, you broke it. And I said, well, my uncle's a lawyer, which he wasn't. <laughs> and I said, my uncle's a lawyer, and I'll just turn it over to him. And that scared him. And he said, okay, okay, son. He said, we'll, we'll work a deal out on the boat. <laughs> so, so you you guys yeah. were make you made some of your first bows out of like a l- laminated snow ski? Uh, no. They, at that time, there was no such thing as lamination in snow skis. They oh, okay. were all hickory, okay. and uh, they were all hickory in that. And hick, of course, obviously hickory was a real good uh, for a bow. And right. uh, what we did is we got a hold of the short skis. Uh, he, was, of course, could get them up at the University of Colorado. And we would get the short skis, and the foot section was already built up. And that would be, we would make the handle there, and then the recurve was on the one end. And then we'd steam the other end and uh, recurve that one to match as much as we could. Wow. That's pretty cool. And unfortunately, I I had one of those bows up in my dad's garage for a long, long time, but I never was able to find it. And uh, I wish I had one of those. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool. That's awesome. And I so- have no idea what they pulled. You know, I would guess probably mostly um, 35 pounds or so because I was just a kid, you know. So um, how, how has your equipment evolved since then? Well, after, uh, uh, of course, when I uh, really got serious about hunting, uh, then I bought a uh, uh, another laminated bow, and I don't really remember what that was, but when I was 18 years old, I bought a, no, I was 17 because the bows come out early. I bought a Bear Grizzly, uh, which I still have, a 1958 Bear Grizzly. And uh, I've still got that bow. Wow. And that was my first good bow. And uh, and then, of course, I was uh, making arrows by buying wood shafts and that stuff. And I've made my arrows ever since. I just love making arrows. But uh, yeah. that's what I was using then. And then when the aluminum, uh, well, first when the uh, fiberglass arrows uh, showed up on the scene, I started using microflight, uh, and that's what I killed the elk with in that fall. Uh, the bull elk was a microflight, 
And then when aluminums come out, of course, I went to aluminums. But I still never, uh, I, I never got away from the woods entirely because they were just so neat, you know. But I did that, kill quite a few animals with aluminum arrows. And yeah, me and me and Bob both shoot uh, Doug fir wood shafts, and um, I yeah. was uh, kind of late to the game. I just switched to them this year, but I, I won't ever be going back. I'm just absolutely in love with uh, wood arrows. Yeah, I'm the same way, and I I keep all my uh, feathers off the turkeys and and have them ground, and and uh, I shoot wood uh, 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 shafts now from uh, David Cartwright up in Canada, and they're footed arrows. Yeah, and I, uh, one time I uh, one time I shot uh, Sweetland compressed cedars, and those were absolutely the best arrows that's ever been made. Yeah, those I've seen those. Pieces. Those yeah, are amazing. They were, I've, I've got a couple yes, of friends great, that, are still, that, are, that are still shooting some of those, and those are. I wish those were still around. Yeah, in fact, I got a hold of the guy up in Alaska here just a month or so ago, and and he just quit entirely, and he didn't have hardly anything left. But yeah. uh, the footed arrows, I think, are are almost as good, uh, and I taper them ten inches on the back, but I always have him. Uh, put them with purple heart and they're great 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 are, arrows boy are they cedars footed with purple heart or pardon cedar shafts footed with purple heart uh what he does is he has he's making his up out of uh, uh some of these i've got i think are a poor different cedar but some of them are uh i think they were uh something like birch or something like that I don't okay. remember. I'd have to look to see what those was because he makes all kinds of different uh, arrows and uh, arrows up. But the footed arrows are just awesome, boy. They penetration is great, you know. Of course, you got uh, weight forward a bunch on them, and that's a big deal now, you know. Is weight forward and who, right. nobody ever paid attention to that before. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but, uh, uh, the footed arrows a, are great. Are you a two blade or a three blade broadhead guy? Uh, really a two blade, uh, when Jim Doherty and I were real good friends and when he was working for Ben Pearson and they came up with the switchblade head, uh, he sent me about 2000 of those things and I'm still shooting them. Ben Pearson switchblade. <laughs> Very cool. That's awesome. <laughs> I gave away, you know, gave the kids them and the kids were using them and, and, uh, in there, we've got four boys and a girl, and of course, they all shot bows, but the boys hunted, and they all, they all took their animals with a switchblade, and then I gave some to friends, and, and then, you know, they're just a great head. that uh, You can sharpen them, get them razor sharp, and that's the important thing. Yeah, if it but ain't they broke, had it. Fix it. Yeah, that's for sure, and that's the way I feel about it. But, uh, I used bare razor heads before those come out, and of course, you know, bare razor heads take more game than you can shake a stick at and, but i never did really like the razor inserts i just i just thought that they they didn't do as good as a two blade i, I like the two blade better and i shoot the only thing i shoot a four blade on now is on turkeys just to try to stop that arrow from penetrating so far copy but so what yeah, about when the what about when the compound came on the scene? Uh, you know, tell us a little bit about that era uh, and and you know how you, how you uh, maneuvered through that that those times. 
Well, it was kind of funny because we, uh, there was a bunch of us guys got together and started the Colorado Bow Hunters in 1968. And the reason we did it is because the game and fish department was going to shut archery down. So we got together and we started the Colorado Bow Hunters Association. And at, that was about the time the compound bow came up. And it was really funny because Colorado would not let you hunt with a compound bow in 1968. They, uh, they outlawed the compound bow right away. And of all the things, I went down there and convinced them that all it was was just a mechanical bow and uh, got it into the archery season. And, of course, at that time, that's about all it was, you know. But I'd never shot an arrow out of one in my life. And uh, when uh, we were down there, I was took in a bow from one of the archery shops, and I had a guy, uh, one of their game and fish people, pull it back and shoot it into a, a a bunch of boxes and stuff down there so they could see, you know, what it was like, how easy it was to shoot and everything. And sometimes I regretted that, but never really not. <laughs> right. It was probably inevitable. Um, well, so, I mean, yeah. the thing is, you can't, you know, and I've never blamed the bow itself. It's what it, what came with it. You know, the, the bow itself is just, it's easy to shoot and the guys can shoot it long distance and stuff, but it's not, it, it's what came with the compound bow, the, uh, the mentality was just got worse and worse all the time, and uh, the uh, all the trash that came with it. And I was on the board of the Pope and Young Club uh, for eight years uh, in the 1980s, and, and you just could not believe some of the stuff that come over the over our table that guys wanted to make legal, and it was just incredible. And that well, was the problem, is all the trash. And most of that stuff all is legal now, right? With the Pope. No, no, there was an awful lot of it that wasn't, you know. And, and of course, they, you know, as the numbers got higher with high-tech shooters in the Pope and Young Club, they did have to have to make some of that stuff legal, you know. They had to uh, bend over on the uh, let off. That was inevitable, and then the lighted knocks and that stuff. And, uh, and, you know, I know guys that use lighted knocks and it, uh, I don't see where it's ever made, uh, uh, a big difference as far as poaching or anything like that's concerned. I, you know, I think if most poachers don't use that kind of stuff anyway. Sure. And I think, uh, I think uh, most poachers use a gun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and or crossbow, you know, right. That, that's a big thing. And, uh, that was another thing when long before the crossbow thing come up, when we first started hearing about it and, uh, uh I convinced the board of the Pope and, or the Pope and of the Colorado bow hunters association to, uh, okay the crossbow in the rifle season. And the, the board just had a fit because I did that. And I said, hey, wait a minute, guys. I said, you know darn well that whenever we get a law in Colorado, you can't change it. You know, you get any kind of a game and fish law, you can't change it. It's just almost impossible. And I said, if we get those things into the rifle season, they can't say they don't have a place to hunt. They, that we're discriminating against them and everything because they can hunt during the rifle season. And I said, they'll be stuck there. 
And that's just exactly what's happened. They finally agreed with me, and we pa- they passed it and went to the game and fish department, and they put it uh, right away. They didn't even argue. They just put it right in the, the uh, uh, rifle season. And, of course, they've tried everywhere in the world to get it out of there and into the bow season, but the uh, game and fish department says, well, why do that? you got a season. <laughs> yeah, that, that was... That was really good foresight, and and it's right where it belongs because it's got a, a rifle stock, and um, I mean it basically is a rifle. So that that was awesome. Yeah, that was a good move. yeah. So we've uh, we've bit the bullet there as far as that's concerned. You know, they've come in and tried to move it, but the game and fish department won't even talk to them. And so that worked out really good. So it sounds like over the years you've been involved in a lot of different organizations. Do you want to touch on um, some of those? Well, uh, the, the, I was the record chairman for the Colorado State Archery Association from about 1966 to 68. But they were target archers, and they'd give you 10 cents a member <laughs> to keep records for hunting. They just weren't <laughs> interested in the hunting. And uh, fortunately, that thing come along with uh, Colorado bow hunters. And, of course, I left there and uh, helped the guys start Colorado Bowhunter Association, and unfortunately, there's only three of us still alive that started that organization. At uh, just ages, taking care of it. But and then uh, I joined the Pope and Young Club in 1970 or 71, and uh, I was one of the early members, regular members from Colorado. And I started major, and uh, then too in 1971, and I majored for 42 years, and. I finally just resigned here a few years back. It just, uh, it was long enough. <laughs> just yeah. Let some of the younger guys do it, you know. And then, uh, we were at a Pope and Young get together in Omaha and Glenn St. Charles, uh, came up with the idea of having a national traditional organization. So a bunch of us guys got together and started the Compton traditional bow hunters. And, uh, they, uh, they conned me and railroaded or whatever way into being the first president of it. Yeah. Okay. Because I had helped, I had helped start the Colorado, uh, our, uh, Bighorn Sheep Society in Colorado and was the president there. So I did have quite a bit of experience as far as running the organizations go. So I was the uh, first president of the Compton Traditional Bowhunters and helped get that thing off the ground. And, and, uh, we came up with, uh, Compton Archives, which is our recording. Uh, it's, we don't have world records or anything like that. It's just a recording to show that traditional archery is uh, a viable means of taking animals. And uh, we came up with that right after we started the Compton Traditional Bow Hunters because I tried to do that when we first started talking about it, but the Pope and Young Club wouldn't give us the records. And uh, I thought, well, I know we can get them because uh, those records don't belong to uh, Pope and Young. They belong to the archer. And right. so we we set up the archive system here, Fred Asbell, myself, and T.J. Conrads, and, and uh, uh, Scott George uh, right here at our table at our place here in, in Boulder. And uh, I called uh, Glenn Heisey and... I said, you know, Glenn, I said, we can force you to give us those records because they're, they don't belong to the Pope and Young Club. 
And he he finally said, "Well, I'll get them for you." And of course, then they opened it up for us, and we were able to get those uh, all the records there. And now very, things went crazy. That's very cool. Yeah. So, are you guys familiar with Compton? Um, I've heard of it, but we we are uh, uh, not members. But it's an organization that I'm definitely interested in. Yeah. Well, go to the website. They they just redid the the website, uh, and it uh, it is a beautiful, beautiful website right now. Really, a, really a top notch uh, website. We're uh, new members. We're new members to the PBS and uh, active in our uh, local tradi- traditional archers of Oregon. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, that's good. That's that's a good thing to do. And we have we we've had a uh, Colorado Traditional Archers Society uh, in Colorado for quite a few years, and I've been active in it for a long time too. So. It, uh, and I, w- I was a member of PBS for quite a long time, but uh, uh, after they had some problems with the, the board and the fighting and all that kind of stuff, well, I kind of dropped out of that. It, uh, and, of course, when I got into the Compton traditional bowlers, that took so much time that didn't have time for anything else there anyway. <laughs> yeah, sounds right. like you've been a pretty busy guy your whole life. We appreciate everything you've done for oh, traditional yeah. archery for sure. Yeah, from well, from what thank I, you. And from what I've read, you've given back uh, a lot more than a lot more than you've taken. And you know, and we, yeah, we thank you for that. I've I've read up on you, and you know, you've donated. It looks like you know a, over a hundred bows to youth and. Um, done a lot with uh, getting uh, uh, young men and women involved in traditional archery and bow hunting, and so I mean that that's that's humongous. We appreciate that. Well, thank you very much. I, you know, my my view of it was uh, the the organizations were the ones that made bow hunting what it is now, and uh, I appreciated that. So I just wanted to give back to them as much as I could, you know. And, and uh, Judy and I were really involved with the kids all our life, and uh, she ran the Pope and Young Club's uh, outdoor youth camp for ten years uh, up here above Boulder, and that was a great, great camp. And and it was just unfortunate that they stopped that. But uh, and then we started the uh, PBS's youth hunt and uh, Colorado Traditional's youth hunt, and uh, I think that we started about four or five. Youth hunts. Uh, I helped TJ start the uh, uh, magazine, the traditional bow hunters magazine, youth hunt, and that was a good one too. I just wish they wouldn't have uh, stopped that one either. Wow! So that's important. And what's your and any sheep hunters that have drawn an archery tag in Colorado I have to thank you too, right? There, I think Colorado's still the only state that has an archery season for sheep. Am I correct? Yeah, yeah, we do have a uh, uh, quite a few areas that we have. I don't know how many there are now. There, there's probably at least a dozen or more yeah. for bighorn sheep. And uh, I started hunting bighorn sheep in 1961, and uh, everybody thought you was nuts hunting with a bull. You know, they didn't <laughs> think you could kill one with a bull. And at that time, it was very, very difficult because we had so few sheep, and and uh, it was just so hard to. Uh, get close enough to them but 
I started hunting the high country a lot at that time for deer and sheep. And uh, uh, sheep's been one of my downfalls, I guess. For <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've been on, uh, I think, 61 sheep hunts, uh, about a dozen of my own, but mostly with other people just helping them. Wow. And uh, I've, I've always, uh, I think we've taken... Uh, I don't know, 25 or 26 rams with the bows. And, of course, the few rifle hunters that I've hunted, they always get one. But uh, we I had a couple of uh, guides raise king with the game and fish department, said I was guiding without a license, but I never accepted a penny from anybody for helping them get a sheep. Yeah. And the same with the goats. Uh, I think I've been on 25 or 26 goat hunts, and we've taken 20 goats. What is it and that's about, the same way there. What is it about sheep hunt? It seems everybody that goes, they're just hooked the rest of their life. I don't know. Everybody calls it sheep fever, and boy, it is, too. <laughs> it's just, uh, I've, been, I've been a flying for 25 years here, and uh, 30 years uh, in with Arizona and in uh, Nevada, and I haven't been able to draw a desert permit, and that's the only one I need for all four of them with my bow. Oh, but man. I just can't draw that permit. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to but draw. I got, I got lucky this year and drew a, a moose permit here in Colorado after 32 years of applying, so maybe next year I'll draw that desert permit. <laughs> yeah. That'd be kind of good. 30, Did you, 30 uh, points. Or, that's a long, long it, time. Were you able to connect on the Shivers moose? Yeah, yeah. In fact, I just uh, I just killed a really really good bull uh, September the fourteenth. Oh wow! And, uh, uh, that sounds like a good place to start. Why don't you just tell us that story? Well, it was a wild story. I just finished writing it up for a traditional bow hunter. But uh, uh, what happened is I I think we started putting in. Uh, they started the season, and when they did that, they gave uh, a point system, but you could only get three points. And then after, I don't know, about eight or nine years, they went ahead and instituted a uh, uh, add-on point to the three, and it didn't do any good. They called it bonus points and didn't do any good whatsoever because, uh, like I say, I, I had 20 points when I drew this year. And uh, there was guys that were drawn with three and four points. So just too many people putting in. Yeah. Right. You know, you got seven or 8,000 people putting in for those permits. But but we did get a, a um, uh, season for archery that preceded the rifle season. And that really helped a lot. And, uh, so, and in 2015, our oldest son, Todd, who is also a senior member of Pope and Young Club, he drew and killed a tremendous bull right up here above us, just an hour above us along the Continental Divide. And I had been taking pictures of him and, you know, keeping up with him that whole time. And then I drew up there this year and uh, ended up hunting. Uh, I think I killed him on the sixth day. And I had 19 bulls located before the season opened, some scouting and photographing and that, and uh, the bull that I killed uh, wasn't one of them. <laughs> wow. wow. So, 
So we, we probably got, without a doubt, one of the best moose hunting uh, states in the country. You know, we're just, uh, there's been, uh, I think, seven, in the last uh, three years, there's been seven Boone and Crockett bulls killed up here above us in the three areas along the front range. And uh, two of them were uh, world records, one with a bow and one with the right uh, muzzleloader. Wow. So, um, can you, can you t- give us a uh, kind of a breakdown on, uh, how that, how that hunt went and well, w- w- uh, what happened is we were, uh, my hunting buddy Duke Prentup and, and of course our son Todd and, uh, another guy, another good friend that had, uh, one of the, uh, the other bull permits, there were two bull permits in the bow season. And what happens there is everybody puts in together. Rifle hunter, muzzleloader, uh, bow hunters all put in together and you designate what season you want to hunt in. Uh, so that you actually there's, there was, uh, eight or nine, nine cow permits and four bull permits. And, uh, we drew two of them and the other two went to a couple other people. But, uh, so anyway, we were up hunting in this one spot that I had scouted out, uh, the bulls and where Todd got his and it's a rotten area. And those, uh, those people that were scouting in an area about 10 miles to the North were seeing the same bulls I was, but what they didn't realize is that during the rut, those bulls moved that 10 miles to the South where the cows were at. So we were hunting there. And, uh, I think it was the second day, uh, I got within four yards of a bull. And uh, I was down in a hole in the brush, and he kind of came along just above me, and I just pulled a rookie mistake and didn't wait for him to go by me. And when I drew to shoot, and I'm a pretty much of a snap shooter, uh, he whirled just like a, a horse would and whirled away from that arrow. <laughs> and uh, But it was okay. Uh, you know, I, I did end up with a, a bigger bull, but he was a big one. And, and then uh, a couple days later, the game warden, who uh, a friend of ours who I've hunted with, he drew uh, one of the rifle bull permits. And he called me and said, I better get up to this trailhead on the St. Green River that there was two bulls fighting there. <laughs> so Todd and I went out. <laughs> we looked and looked, couldn't find him. And what the deal is, there's an old, old mining road that's almost impassable going along the one side and on the other side is a trail that goes up and over the continental divide and down into grand lake and uh, so i went up there todd couldn't go and duke couldn't go until noon on thursday and i said well i ain't wasting the morning so i went up by myself and i hiked up that trail about two miles and didn't see anything and i thought you know you dummy here you are up there two miles what are you gonna do if you kill one up here <laughs> And then I got to thinking those two bulls wouldn't be that high up anyway. So I turned around and I crossed the river and crossed the willow along the river and got up on that old road and started walking down the road and a cow calling about every 50 yards. And I got down about a half a mile above that trailhead and I uh, heard the bull grunt at me down in the willows. And I ended up uh, cow calling just standing there and the two cows and him walked out about, well, I thought it was 25 yards, but it was 32 yards. And I shot him behind the front shoulder and they went, uh, 
I didn't get much penetration because I caught the bone on the back of the clavicle there, the the leg bone, you know, one of yeah. the two. And I just got one lung, and he went down into the river, into the willows, and, of course, disappeared right away. So I thought, well, I'll let him go because I had a pretty good blood trail. And uh, I went down and called Judy and told her, and she said her and her, her grandson, uh, 20-year-old grandson, would be up right away. And I called Todd, and he said he'd be up in an hour or so. And called Duke, and he said, I'm on the way. <laughs> he got, he got up there and we followed him. We had, uh, it was just a fiasco from there. And, uh, but I finally did get across the back across the river and they were close to that trail. And I uh, shot another arrow and, and that was crazy. I'm shooting a 50 pound bow, a 50 pound long bow and shooting one of those wooded arrows. And I shot completely through that bow, right through both lungs, uh, the heart in both lungs. And, uh, we never found that arrow. Wow. wow. What what bow are you it, shooting? Uh, Black Canyon Longbow. Black Canyon Longbow. And, Those are beautiful. Yeah, they're made in Southern Colorado. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he makes just the, one of the finest custom bows out there. And I've got uh, probably twenty custom bows, and I quit using all of them except his. But uh, That's boy, awesome. it, it zipped that air right through him. And, yeah, and I, I'm a heavy. Through. I'm always curious when. Uh, when guys are moose hunting, what weight they're shooting? I was just about to ask you that when you when you said fifty pounds, yeah. though, I was like, "Whoa, fifty! That's awesome!" 50 at, <laughs> at what? What's well, your draw? What's your draw, and how heavy of an arrow? Uh, the air, I'm shooting about a six hundred grain arrow with okay. those footed shafts. They're pretty heavy, but uh, about I used to shoot fifty six pounds and everything, and I don't know about five or six years ago. I uh, tore my bicep loose, and our son, son-in-law's son an orthopedic surgeon, he said I was too old to repair it. It wouldn't work anyway, so he said it'll heal up enough you can shoot. But I did have to drop down. And I could probably shoot a 55-pound bow now, but I just don't see any reason for it, you know. Yeah, yeah me, but, uh, me and Bob both shoot 50-pound bows also, long bows. Well, look, I'll tell you another thing, Mike. One of my other hunting buddies who is, uh, he drew when he was, uh, let's see, that was three years ago. So he would have been 77 then too. And, uh, he drew the, the governor's permit. We have two, two permits there and you can hunt anywhere in the state, uh, until the end of December. And, uh, he won the governor's permit on a $25 ticket. And then the other one is a, uh, of course, a uh, auction thing, and that thing usually goes higher in a kite, you know. But uh, he won that, and him and I scouted all over the whole country, and he ended up shooting a bull right up here. And <laughs> he had had some uh, uh, same thing; he had some shoulder and back problems uh, in the summer before that, and he shot that bull at about. Oh, I don't know, about 12 or 14, maybe 15 yards at the most. And he shot it with a 43-and-a-half-pound bow. And uh, that arrow, the feathers, is the only thing that hung it up from going completely uh, out the other side. Wow. wow. <laughs> so it just shows you you've got a sharp broadhead and a good arrow. You don't need that heavy weight. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. That's for sure. Dang. So uh, what yeah. – 
out of all the all this hunting, what's what's your what's your favorite species to to go after? Well, there's two obviously bighorn sheep, but uh, I love to hunt big bucks up above timberline. We were hoping uh, you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I yeah. don't think there's any question. Of all, I've hunted just about everything in this country, and and uh, there is no doubt that a big mature mule deer buck is the toughest of all of them. When I uh, talked are. to Rob, when I talked to Bob tonight, uh, he said, "Man, I would really like to get into high country m- mule deer with Marv." <laughs> yeah, I love yeah. seeing your pictures, oh, man. You killed some big bucks, and I love seeing them. You 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 always have wool on too. That's I'm a big wool guy. Yeah. So, so I'd love to. Yeah. Let's get <laughs> in. <laughs> let's get into how it's changed. I mean, you've been probably hunting high country mule deer up there for 50 years. Um, Maybe well, we can... yeah, I started it. I started out uh, in 1961. Wow! <laughs> so, uh, because, uh, on that first sheep hunt we drew, uh, they would let you buy a uh, uh, a license for deer. They were trying to figure out a way to get some of those deer out of that high country, and uh, of course, I was hunting with a, a rifle at that time, and that was the last year that I hunted with a rifle. Wow. In 1961, and uh, I shot a, a Boone and Crockett buck with 21 points on him up there, Jeez. and I was just just convinced that I could do it with a bow. So I put the gun away and I started hunting with a bow in that high country. And boy, it, it's just it's as bad as the sheep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and awesome. I, I always told everybody, I don't think I could kill a buck down in the timber. I wouldn't know how to hunt him. <laughs> <laughs> so are these hunts taking place in August? And what's the logistics? And how far are you uh, going? And how long are you staying? And Well, uh, it, it what we're doing is we're hunting up, of course, along the Continental Divide here, you know. And uh, it just depends on on the situation sometimes we camp up there in the trees just below those high basins but most of the time uh we camp lower and we just go up and uh and go into them because once you blow them out of the basin they're not going to be back for oh anywhere from four or five days to a week or two and sometimes they'll never come back so so you're uh, saying you're saying you'll camp camp down lower where you can access several drainages you know, if yeah. you blow them out yeah, of one, you can go to a different one the next day. It might travel a little further from camp, but that's what you're trying to say. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's the way we do it. And what's and the what elevation? We is, well, uh, I've taken uh, two bucks. Uh, let's see, I took one about uh, four years ago at 12,800 feet. And I took another one at, right at that same elevation, too, about 12,800 feet. Wow, and uh, our our timber line is eleven thousand, so that give you an idea where we're at there. And so you're camping. And what we do is at, at ten thousand feet or so. Yeah, yeah. And uh, what we do is we get up on, uh, and it's just been an evolving thing from years and years of hunting them. Uh, we get up on a on a high point and watch them in the basin while they're feeding. And usually what happens is those big bucks will feed till about 8.30. You can almost set your clock on it. And they'll lay down, but they usually lay down out in the open. And then about, oh, maybe anywhere from uh, 45 minutes to an hour or so later, 
when the sun starts getting them too warm, then they move down and lay down in the brush. And uh, so what we do is we we'd mark where they were at, and boy, you had to make sure you knew many of them there was too, and where they were laying because if if you didn't, you didn't have a prayer. And we I've even drawn maps on my hand, so I made sure I went to them right, get the wind right, and then sneak up on them. And uh, the one the this last one I shot uh, up in the high country there. A couple of years ago, was uh, I shot him at about 12, 14 yards. But the one before that, the next biggest one before that, that uh, that I shot up there at uh, 12,800 feet, I shot him at five yards. And wow. to me, there's nothing, nothing in the world more exciting than getting really, really close to these animals, you know. So Absolutely. you, so you're waiting, you're waiting out that first time they bed. You're letting them get to their kind of yeah. final bed down in the, they usually bed at timberline or down in the brush, you're saying? No, they'll just move down into the nearest brush. Oh, okay. And they've got favorite spots there. And usually that brush is real hot, you know, and they'll lay down in those holes in that brush where you can't even see their antlers. Yeah. And uh, they can't see nothing. You can't see nothing so, on them. So you have to really, really know where they're at, you know. So are when you, you when you stalk when you stalk into a buck like that, are you are you waiting for him to stand, or will you shoot him bedded down? Oh, you have to. Yeah. yeah. I early on, I probably shot at a dozen of them laying down. You ain't got a prayer. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that? Just because of the brush? Yeah, the brush and the fact that they're gone. Be you know they jump from before that arrow yeah. ever gets close to them. So they can, I've they got can get up on their feet my, fast. Yeah, yeah. I've got pictures of my wife uh, with a big buck standing about seven or eight yards below her. And uh, she's only about five foot six, and she was so short she couldn't see that big buck. And she was so mad because I kept telling her to shoot, shoot. And she couldn't see him. She could see the top of his antlers, and that was all. Oh, no. <laughs> Uh, but that's awesome. that's the other thing you know i was uh extremely fortunate to uh marry we w- went to high school together and uh we've been married for 58 years a week ago and uh, yeah congrats and she she came from a hunting family and she was uh i think the seventh woman uh, uh regular member of pope and young club and of course now uh, we're uh emeritus members of Pope and Young Club, and uh, she was involved in almost all those organizations with me, too. Wow. But uh, she killed bear and mountain lion and whitetail and mule deer and that, and, of course, hunted sheep and goats and all that with her bow. And, but, uh, That's awesome. I was, uh, got lucky there. Got a good gal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's hard. They're hard to find these days, let me tell you. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> they don't. My dad always says they don't make them like they used to. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's, that is so cool. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so, how many of these uh, high country mule deer do you suppose you've got under your belt? Oh, geez, I really don't know. I think I've killed oh, probably fifty-five or fifty-eight somewhere out of them in there, and. Wow. Uh, Big bucks, you know, that's mule deer period, but big bucks, I think I've killed about 
16 or 18, you know, really big ones. Wow. And yeah. I, I, I consider anything over 125 as a big one. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. So, What's your biggest yeah. one? Uh, I think the biggest one I've got is uh, uh, about 175, 178. Well, that's a uh, he's got a couple of extra, uh, two or three extra points, or he'd have been about 185. And, but uh, I could care less about that stuff. And, right. so. <laughs> so, so how have things changed, or have they changed much over there where you hunt in the last 50 years? You know, I know... Probably the gears changed a little bit. Like I said, I see you still wear some wool, but uh, you know, back in the days, what were you? You were packing in. You know, what were you using? And what what do you use now? Well, I've always I've always wore wool. You know, I I think uh, wool is a thing. In earlier early in the year now, if it's real early, I wear some Kuyu clothes. You know, on in. Uh, uh, I love that Kuyu stuff because it's, it's real comfortable and stretches good. But as soon as I get into anywhere close to September, well, I usually wear the wool just because of the of that high country. We get those storms that come in immediately, you know, and you think you're going to be there for the duration, and they usually blow right through, but they still cool it off in a hurry. And uh, the other thing is, I guys give me heck about my packs. I've always used Keldy packs. And they've, they've been trying to get me to use these new highfalutin packs, and <laughs> I see nothing wrong with the Kelly. <laughs> and those, those things are really good. They're strong and comfortable, and I just keep using them. So, but, what about uh, the, I the think, pop populations of the uh, mule deer? Ha, ha, has well, that changed? You can't even compare it. What happened is we got that. Uh, 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 Oh, what do they call it? Yeah, yeah, I'm getting all the ground a blank. The <laughs> the disease that the goes C- into their brain, you CWD. know, CWD, CWD, yeah, the CWD, and uh, they thought that the way to do that was to kill those deer off, and that was the dumbest thing that they ever done. And and around our area up here, they killed them all. Mm. Uh, the the county and the game and fish department and that and. And they just killed all of those deer. And, you know, in a whitetail, it's a different story in a whitetail. They're like rats, you know, and yeah. mice. They breed back and go on. But mule deer don't do that. It just takes forever to mule deer come back. And they're starting to get a, more, a little more populated now. But we still don't have the population of mule deer. Nothing like we had then, you know. It was nothing for us to see 30 or 40 big bucks in a hunt back in the 60s and now if you find one you're lucky yeah one or two and uh but the other thing that i think has really hurt us bad is up in that area around georgetown where i used to do all my big buck hunting there's none left because the elk have come in and taken over and up here above us the elk are pushing those deer out too they just can't compete with an elk they're so much bigger you know yeah so the elk and we elk- know the elk populations have increased while the deer... Oh, yeah. Yeah. We've... It's just unbelievable the amount of elk that we've got in Colorado, and they just can't kill enough of them. <laughs> it, uh, you know, you can you can get... In some areas, you can buy all the cow permits you want. Wow. But, you know, what are you going to do? You kill a bull, you kill a cow, 
what are you going to do with another one? Buy <laughs> two or three more freezers? <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. So you got 20 and kids you're feeding I, or something? Yeah. <laughs> I tried to tell the department years ago that the, the way to kill off those cows is you make every hunter, every single hunter for elk, kill a cow before he can kill a bull. Yeah. And uh, you'll get rid of them cows. But yeah. they wouldn't do it. <laughs> Yeah, that sounds like a heck of a problem to have. Oh, it is. And, you know, where we live here, uh, I don't know if you looked at a map, but we're about five miles east of the mountain and, uh, you know, out in the valley out there. And we have elk come through our yard here now. Wow. And when I was a kid, when I started bow hunting when I was a kid, you had to go to the western slope to kill an elk, even with a rifle. Yeah, uh, you ha- there was no elk on the eastern slope, and uh, now my cousin's ranch right here to the south of us, about ten minutes. He's got uh, any given day right now, he'll have one hundred and seventy-five to two hundred twenty-five head on his place. Wow! And they just live there all year round. And now, uh, t- tell us how what you think the future of uh, traditional bow hunting and the future as a whole for. Uh, uh, what we're facing i mean you know you've been you've been around for a long time and you've watched uh a lot of things come and go and you've watched a lot of things change what is uh you know are you optimistic for the future and and uh you know speak to that a little bit if you don't mind well i i think that you know traditional bow hunters coming back quite a bit uh we're seeing that all the time uh I've, I've had, uh, I horse trade with bows quite a bit and help guys get, uh, started in traditional bow. And, and, and I think it doesn't take very much to get somebody interested in a traditional bow because, you know, a compound is a machine and there's no way getting around that. Uh, it's a machine and, and people know it and it's just not fun shooting them like it is a, a traditional bow. And when, the, like, uh, the get-togethers that we go to, the Colorado Bowhunter Association, of course, was anything uh, tr- compound of that, but uh, the traditional bow shoots. And, and, you know, when you get together with a bunch of guys and you start looking at your bows and stuff and how pretty they are and how unbelievable the workmanship is on them and everything, and I always tell the guys, I said, when was the last time that you were with a compound shooter and he said, boy, look at how pretty my wheels are. Look at how pretty my, <laughs> you know, it's a totally, totally different concept. And, uh, it just does not take much. I think the big problem is getting somebody's confidence up that they can do it with a traditional bow. Because if right. they get used to shooting at 50, 60, 70 yards in that, which is ridiculous, but, uh, they get used to doing that, and then they have to drop down to 25 yards or less. Uh, boy, it's it's a tough situation, you know. But if, if they get somebody to help them, th- then they can do it. And I think the, the hunting's there. Uh, it's a tougher all the time because you've got more people going into the field all the time, and it's harder to draw permits in that because we have permits for everything except elk now. Right, uh, you have to you have to draw it, everything except it, some areas of elk. And it seems with the younger generation, woodsmanship seems to be removed, 
and it seems like these younger guys are like trophy hunters overnight. Um, are you are you seeing that where you're at? Oh yeah, yeah, without a doubt. You know, they uh, they see too many TV programs and read too many articles about the the big ones, and that's all they want. You know, and I tell a lot of them, I say, hey, you know, especially in the sheep and goat hunting. You know, if that's what you're looking for, you're in the wrong area because you you just don't have those giant animals like they do in some areas in Montana. And we've got them, just not very many of them. Right. But the other thing that I think is causing a lot, a lot of problem with the hunt is the pay to hunt. You know, there's so much money in, uh, in high-tech uh, industries now that these young guys got tons of money. And uh, they don't do any hunting on their own. They they hire guides and go hunting farms and all that stuff. Right. And uh, they, you know they just they just don't learn the outdoors the, to be a woodsman. And I think that's the thing that they're missing is uh, they don't learn to be good woodsmen. And that's the fun of it, you know. They're without a doubt. And I I keep hearing more and more stories of guys going to Canada and Alaska hunting and as soon as they kill an animal they want the outfitter to get them out of there and uh, boy that you know that's sad they just don't know what they're missing they just don't have any idea what they're missing that's that's really sad they they want to get a a, a grip and grin and hurry up and get it onto the facebook and yeah it's over yeah. yeah get it in get it in the record books you know and of course people blame it onto the the record books and everything, but yeah, you can't blame that onto a book. <laughs> you know, it's the mentality that you got to blame it on. What do you think uh, uh, we can do to change this mentality? Well, I think what you guys are doing is great. You know, I think the social media has to has to see a lot of the traditional and how much fun it is and everything. You know, and I think that's the big thing is that people have to be educated as to uh, what traditional archery is and uh, how much more involved in the outdoors it is and in the equipment. Because, you know, when when have you ever heard of a compound shooter making his own equipment? They don't make anything. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and they it, can't. It's, it seems guys feel like they have to be successful. Like, uh, and when I say successful, they have to notch their tag in order to feel successful. And like me and Bob are talking about uh, on the podcast quite often is y- you have to be willing to uh, go without sometimes. And, and, and hunting the hard way uh, comes with so many other rewards than just notching the tag. Uh, that is for sure. You know, Todd, years ago, Todd and I, our, our oldest son, uh, we've been, of course, hunting buddies since he was little tiny, but uh, <laughs> he got, he really got into the uh, the big buck hunting up in the high country, too. And he's killed bighorn sheep and goats and and that, uh, and high country bucks. But we got to sit down up there on the mountain one day after we blew a stock on a couple big bucks, and we were just kind of figuring up uh, how many times that we would stalk a big buck or, or even a, an average deer up there in that high country uh, without getting a shot and not killing one. I'm just talking about getting a shot. 
And we figured that we were making about 60 stocks for every shot that we took. Wow. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah, that's so, like that yeah. old Fred Bear saying, you learn more in a week hunting with a bow than your whole life hunting with a gun. So That's for sure. That's for sure. And, you know, it's, it's the same thing. I was watching a program the other night. Uh, somebody had sent it to me on the Internet. And I don't even remember what it was called. It was Big Bucks and Bulls or something. But anyway, they had a video on there about this young fellow was uh, hunting elk. And uh, he shot at this elk, and he said, boy, he's close enough now. Well, it had to be, I would guess, 60 yards. And he shot at that elk, and he jumps up, and they start high-fiving, and he got him. I'll guarantee you that arrow was a foot and a half over that elk's back. Wow. Never touched him. Wow. And, yeah. and, you know, here they are high-fiving and yelling that he got this elk and everything. Then they show him with an elk. Uh, uh, you know, and the next thing, they're, they're falling the blood trail, and they show him with an elk. It's it not even close to the same bull. You know, so it's so phony. And that's sad. That's really sad that they have to do that to make a, a program. And yet, you know, Fred, uh, old Fred Eichler and I are good friends, and and he is such a character. But when he does something, he tells it like it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I've I've always thought it's unfortunate that uh, Easton and those guys make him shoot a compound now and then because he's a he really is a traditional hunter, you know, but. Uh, Money-wise, he's forced to do that, and I guess uh, I guess if if that's the way you do it, that's the way you have to be. But uh, I would never compromise myself for that. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. Uh, first goat that I killed in 1968 was a state record for about ten years, and uh, of course, whenever you kill something like that, you know, and it was just an accident, like it always is, <laughs> but. Uh, when uh, the word gets around, you know, and Easton uh, called me then and wanted to know if I'd be a shooter for him. And I told him, no, I said, I just, uh, I don't do those things. And I'm not going to be told what to shoot and how to shoot it. And, uh, I, and, you know, that probably cost me tons and tons of hunting. There's no question about that. Well, it sounds like you've done tons you know? and tons. So I don't know when yeah. you would have fitted in the other tons, but, but uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah. There's a fine line of of uh, representing what you love and believe in, and selling out to what you love Boy, and believe in. Yeah, that's for sure. And another one similar to that was uh, Fred Bear and I were good friends. We were on the Pope and Young board together, and and uh, we're real good friends. And of course, that stone sheep thing got us even better friends because he had that world record stone sheep and. I always wanted to do that. But anyway, he uh, asked me to write an article for a, a youth uh, little booklet that he was doing, and I did. And he said he'd send me a, uh, a signature takedown recurve for doing that. Well, I didn't get it, and I didn't get it. And one day he asked me, he said, what, did you get that bow? And I said, no, I never did get it. And he said he told them to send it to me. Well, he got with their people and about, I don't know, a couple of weeks later, I get this big box and it's got a compound bow and arrows and <laughs> compound bow quiver and all this stuff in it. And I just boxed it back up and sent the damn thing back to him. And uh, I was talking to him about that and I told him what happened and oh, God, he just blew a fuse. He was so mad over that. 
And uh, I guess he really reprimanded those people, but, you know, I never did get that boat. Yeah. He died, and those people never did send it to me. <laughs> but that's okay. Sure. Yeah, that's okay. So what, what so, kind of uh, uh, advice do you have for the, the, the younger generation coming up? What kind of way? What advice do you have for the younger generation coming up? Well, I think the thing is, is, is uh, number one, obviously, to, is to shoot real bows. You know, <laughs> shoot, shoot, <laughs> shoot something that has a string that contacts the, the bow and not a wheel. But, uh, and, and, and it's very, very easy if you get to a young person first, you know, because of Robin Hood and these movies where these gals are shooting those things. And if you get to them first, it's very easy. In fact, even if you don't get to them first, it's very easy to get them to shoot in traditional gear because of that. But I think the thing that they have to do is, is get involved. You know, they have to learn to shoot and get involved and, and, uh, you know, unfortunately, when they get to junior high and high school, there's girls and sports and all of that kind of stuff. And I've always told everybody, hey, you lose them through that period of time. Without a doubt, we did our kids, too, and you just can't force them to, to do something then that they don't want to do. That's the biggest mistake you can make. Right. And just let them get through that. And uh, if they're going to do it, they're going to come back. And uh, we've got one son that doesn't shoot a bow anymore, but he's a tremendous fly fisherman. And uh, him and I fish all over the country up here in Colorado, fly fishing, you know, and do that. It's, it's and that's just like fishing or just like hunting with traditional equipment. And did your did your wife there. did your wife hunt with uh, traditional equipment? Yeah, yeah, she doesn't anymore. She's got. Her, uh, arthritis real bad and, and yeah. her uh, her family had it terrible and I was lucky my family didn't have it but she she had to quit hunting with a bow about oh I'd say 12 years ago or so uh, she just couldn't pull a bow anymore because that arthritis is so bad and sure. it's unfortunate because I lost my favorite hunting partner and that uh, you know she still she came up there and when I killed that moose and helped us with that moose and everything. And <laughs> so, wow. But uh, she wouldn't hunt with a rifle, uh, you know, even though she can't shoot a bow, she wouldn't hunt with a rifle. She's a dyed-in-the-wool traditionalist, too. <laughs> that's, so. that's, way, that's way cool. Yeah, that's that awesome. so cool. Anyway, I think that that's the best advice I could give them is get, get somebody to teach them how to shoot right, that's for yeah. sure. Having a mentor. You know, right. get some advice. Every, yeah, everyone needs a good mentor, and and I think that you know the young guys that are listening. You should seek out a mentor, and the older guys listening, you guys should take take uh, some time uh, and, and give yeah. some of these guys a chance. Yeah, that uh, and you know the you'll. Ne- I don't think I've ever ran into a traditional bow hunter that wouldn't bend over backwards to help somebody else. Yeah, the traditional archery community was part of. I mean. It, Shooting the bow is so much fun, but the community also helped suck me in. I mean, it, it's an amazing community of people. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, on Compton, we did uh, we do that uh, Compton rendezvous every year back in Michigan. And we'll have a couple hundred kids shooting bows that we give them and uh, arrows and stuff that we give them there every year. When is that? Yeah. Uh, it's just a, a big get together. We call it the rendezvous. It's a Compton traditional rendezvous. 
And it's in Burien Springs, Michigan, at their sportsman's club. Uh, at no competition. Month? Okay. Uh, it's usually the third weekend in, in June. Okay. And right around Father's Day, unfortunately. But, uh, you know, we have a couple of speakers, and there's vendors. Uh, they've, they've got a 200-foot by about 80-foot tent with full of vendors and then another 40 or 50 outside. And uh, we'll have... Uh, Oh, they've they've had as high as four or five thousand shooters at that thing. Wow, we and need to go to that, Bob. A, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really is a it's a kick, boy. And the the thing is, is is everybody in traditional uh, shooting goes to it, you know. But when we started that thing, one of my, I was the president then, and I told the guys, I said, "There's one thing that's going to happen with this if we have it. There's going to be no competition." <laughs> it, uh, you know, they have competition at the Colorado Traditional Arts Society, and it's a damn fight every year. You know, yeah. right. by God, I shot better than she did. Why did she get in that award? And I shot better than she did. I shot better than he did. You know, and it's just a fight. And, it, and to me, that takes the fun out of it. You know, sure. And is that is that uh, where's that shoot at? The one in Colorado. Uh, it's up at, uh, above, uh, Newcastle by Newcastle, uh, off of I-70 Glenwood Springs. Is that in the, in the flat top, flat top wilderness area? Yeah, that's in the flat top. And that thing is, oh, it's just gotten huge. They've been running seven or 800 shooters at that every year too. Wow. Wow, That sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. It's really got big up there and a lot of fun there too. That's have bears awesome. in camp every once in a while. <laughs> oh, wow. Elk. <laughs> you got some hunting plans for uh, 2018. What do you got on the on the menu? Well, hopefully I can draw that uh, desert permit. Yeah. That's okay. the only thing I'm looking forward to. <laughs> but I get, an, I get an antelope permit every year, you know, in, in that. In, uh, and are you still so, going up into the high country from Yule Deer? Or? Yeah, when I can draw the permit. Uh, this is the first year that uh, uh, in my life that I didn't draw a permit. Uh, there were just too many people putting in. Yeah, and uh, I did not draw a uh, a deer permit this year. And uh, last year we had to take a uh, third choice permit uh, just right up here where I was moving. And my grandson and I, he, and uh, see, he was nineteen then. He's twenty now. And I took him up there and first day got him into just a great big buck about a one in 75 178 inch buck and he was shooting real steep downhill and i never thought to told him tell him to hold low and he shot right over that dude's back at about 15 yards (laughs) boy he was a big old buck too and and of course they don't stand around for that second shot that's for sure yeah definitely not yeah, and yeah. You did a lot of stuff in Alaska too, didn't you? Yeah, I hunted up there, but always for sheep. Uh, you know, we incidentally hunted uh, caribou once, just because they came through camp, but uh, not seriously. You know, we were sheep hunting, and I think I killed my ram up there on the fifth hunt. Wow! And, uh, of course, of course, those guys are the same way. See, and like when I hunted stone sheep, they. Uh, every day, you know, take my rifle, take my rifle. I'm not telling them, no, they ain't going to happen. 
you know, it's not going to happen. The Indians in British Columbia were really bad getting on me about because we were on sheep every day. Sometimes I was making three and four stocks a day. And uh, at the end of 10 days, he said, I don't think you're going to shoot one of the rifle, are you? And I said, I've been telling you that for 10 days. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, hopefully, so, hopefully you'll get to go out and chase some desert sheep around next year. I think I have 18 points for desert sheep in Nevada, so I'm about oh, do you? 15 years behind you almost, but I'm hoping the same thing someday. <laughs> well, I, I quit putting in for Nevada and Arizona. It just got too expensive, you know, yeah. for, to, to put in. So, And I'd like to fill out my Grand Slam in Colorado anyway. You know? Yeah, yeah. But uh, So I just, I just put in here now and... We've got we've got the area that I put in for has got a lot of nice desert sheep. In fact, a friend of mine just killed one with his recurve uh, here a couple of weeks ago. Oh, really? Awesome! So, so right that on. was a good lick. Heck yeah! Uh, yeah. So, so cool. Well, um, yeah. Well, we we sure uh, appreciate uh, you taking the time out and telling us uh, about Colorado and. I appreciate it. I did uh, been honor working with you guys. That's for sure. Yeah, usually when we do one of these, we we have a mule deer hunter on here, or a sheep hunter, or a goat hunter. But you've kind of done it all. So I know for our listeners, we bounced around a lot, but uh, we kind of had to because you've kind of done everything. So we might call you again and just just have a whole episode on mule deer or a whole episode on sheep. So I hope you don't mind us bugging you. There's not many guys. No. Like you around, Marv, so we might be calling you again. More than, more than happy to help you guys, and I really appreciate the opportunity to do this. So, We want to thank our listeners for tuning in. We appreciate all the support. Don't forget to check us out on social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean. Check us out on our website at tradquest.com. Keep the wind in your face, pick a spot, and shoot straight.